Hello, welcome to the Better Questions podcast, where we wrestle with hard questions and seek to ask better ones. I'm very excited. I am joined today with my friend, Ben Davis. Ben, welcome to the podcast. Why don't you tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself and what you do, family, all that. Yeah, thanks, Matt. It's good to be with you. Looking forward to having uh, our conversation today. So I uh, first uh, I serve as an elder here at Eastminster. Uh, my wife, Lauren, and I and our two boys, Henry and James, we've attended uh, Eastminster now for a little over five years. Been a wonderful home for us. Um, I'm a lifelong Wichita resident, grew up here, um, graduated from high school here. My wife and I, Lauren, have been married for 10 years, just celebrated uh, November of this year. We have two boys, um, and I work in business consulting and dabble in theology on the side. So Yeah, it's, it's very modest. Ben is one of the most well-read people I know, so I'm very excited to pick his brain a little bit. Um, thanks again for joining. We have some questions, and so I think we'll just go ahead and jump right on in. Perfect. Uh, my first question comes, it's an anonymous question, but the question is this. How do we know the books chosen to be in the Bible are the right ones. And the follow-up is, why don't Protestants have the Apocrypha? Ah, okay. Those are, those are, those are some really big questions. Um, well, the short answer to the first part of the question would be um, what we would call historical consensus. Mm-hmm. Historical consensus. Um, so there's been a debate about this for the last 150 200 years when did we officially start talking about the the canon the new testament canon for the right. 27 books in 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 the new testament um and some people a century or so ago suggested well we didn't start talking about a canon until roughly the later part of the fourth century um the first mention we get of all 27 books together um, is in a festal letter written by Athanasius in 367, I believe, where he mentions all 27 of the books. But I think there's an, an emerging consensus growing that really the canon, um, a core of the canon was identified right into the second century. Um, so Irenaeus, uh, and Irenaeus was, uh, was an early church father, Riding around 140-150 AD, Irenaeus was discipled by Polycarp, and Polycarp was discipled by the Apostle John. So we're talking about just within earshot of of the Apostle John. Irenaeus um, listed 23 of the 27 New Testament books, including all four of the Gospels, all 13 of Paul's epistles, uh, first Peter, Acts, uh, f- I think First and Second John, Revelation. Um, there were just a handful. Second Peter, Third John. Um, I can't remember which else that he left out, um, but he did that. Uh, Ignatius of Antioch, another second century, had had, an, had listed a number of the books. Um, an early fragment, uh, the uh, Muricarian fragment, I think is what it's called, listed 22 of the 27. Mm. Um, and then, of course, you have uh, the uh, Clement, 
You have a number of other uh, Theophilus of Antioch, a number of other early church fathers who listed either 22 or 23 of the books, or in their letters to various churches, they are quoting extensively from what we would consider to be the, tw- the, the, the New Testament canon, including the four Gospels, Paul's letters, that we call the, past- the Catholic epistles, uh, first, second, third John, first, second Peter, Hebrews. Those. So, so I think there's there's already a core canon that's identified yeah. in the second century, and that continues on. And then you get an acknowledgement of this um, in succeeding church councils. Some of the larger church councils acknowledge them. Some of the smaller ones that we've never heard of, but but uh, the Council of Rome, which would be a kind of a, a second tier church council, which is in 382, basically affirms in a conciliar way the 27 books we have now. And then those those that conciliar acknowledgement happens. Then the Council of Carthage, just over into the early part of the fifth century, and then subsequent councils all acknowledge continue to acknowledge the 27 books. Um, that we would consider to be the New Testament. Then when you get into the Reformation, you have the, um, the, like the Westminster Assembly. You've got a number of the other kind of Protestant. Um, they're, they're no longer church councils because right, it's not right. you know, the full <laughs> church together, but the various uh, assemblies or synods or whatever of the Reformation all affirm them. If you go to any one of the, um, of the confessions or the catechisms within the Reformation, they're all going to list out the 27, including the, 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 the Old Testament canon as well. And then the, the Counter-Reformation Council, the Council of Trent uh, in 1545, 1546, they also list out and affirm the, the 27 books of the New Testament. So it, it's, it's historical consensus over time, going all the way back into the second century, starting with Irenaeus. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, the letters we even have from his, the person who discipled him, Polycarp and others, they all are quoting extensively from it, but he kind of formalizes the list um, and then moving forward. The other interesting thing I'll say about this, kind of one of the first real heretics that we have a name for going outside of the, the New Testament into the second century is Marcion. Mm. And Marcion, um, if you've ever heard kind of a Marcionite, that name or that, that title thrown around, um, it is he was one that had a lot of problems with the Old Testament God, right, right. which is actually something that I think happens a lot today within yep. Christianity and then folks who are kind of you know critically evaluating Christianity. Why does there seem to be this disparity right, between right. what they call the Old Testament and the New Testament gods? Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's... Nothing new there. Marcion was basically dealing with a lot of those same things into the early part of the second century. And he was talking about this this disparity between the Old Testament God who was mean and vile and all this and then the New Testament God. But Irenaeus, who wrote a a, a very long book against the heretics, basically against Marcion, um, talks about the only books that Marcion thought were were truly uh, authentic uh, was the Gospel of Luke, which was fairly pared down, and then ten of Paul's thirteen epistles. Interesting. And so, and what Irenaeus says in his writings is that Marcion uh, pared that list down. So he's alluding to the fact that there were other books that the church considered to be authoritative, if we want to use the word canonical, um, but Marcion was thinking that those books weren't applicable to the church and wanted to pare that list down. He right. doesn't mention those other ones, but he alludes that that the list that Marcion created was a, was a very radically incomplete list compared yeah. to what was uh, viewed as authoritative. S- okay. Is that helpful? No, Sorry, that was is. a long answer. But. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm 
um, other questions are arising as yeah. I'm thinking about because I remember even about a year, two years ago, um, American pastor Andy Stanley wrote a book called Irresistible, and he was accused of being a Marcionist. Uh, yeah, because he he used language like we need to unhinge ourselves from the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, you just don't hear modern modern writers often being accused of heresy like that. I just thought it was interesting. Yeah, and there's probably some nuance to that. Yep. Um, for, I, I mean, look, I, I don't know a whole lot about Andy Stanley, and I don't know every, the context of the statement, yep. so I want to be really careful here. I, I I'm not out to necessarily to to, to defend or to criticize sure. him. Um, other than I, I would say that, um, and, I, and I tell this to people all the time, you can't know Jesus or you can't understand Jesus unless you understand, first of all, the person who Jesus called Father. Right. But second of all, you can't understand Jesus unless you understand Jesus' Bible, which yeah. is what we would consider yeah. to be the Old or, or, in some parlance, the First Testament. Yeah. So that brings a question because we part of the question too is on the apocryphal books uh-huh. and, um, you know, the apocryphal books. If I understand, in the early day, like Jews did not consider them as canon, or, or if you can even use that word. Yeah. Uh, but they were they were seen as useful. Sure. Will. So that, from my understanding, they were written within the intertestamental period. Yep. Um, and. The reason that why they were sort of thrown back into the Roman Catholic Bible was in response to to Luther, because I even went back to my notes. It's been been, been a while since I had to retouch my church history notes, but Luther's Bible contains the apocryphal books. Yep, his and, first German translation yeah. does include them. Mm-hmm. Um, and but, so did the original King James translation also have yes. them, and some of them. Uh, some of the Prot- early Protestant Bibles, um, you know, now if you were to pick up a, a, a Bible that includes the Apocrypha, they will be, it's almost like uh, chronological. Right. They'll be included in the middle between the right. Old and New Testament. That's kind of how it was laid out in Luther's Bible, too. Yes, but others in the Protestant Bibles use them as appendixes in the back Gotcha. Um, as well, so it wasn't necessarily kind of in the flow of the narrative uh, if they needed to. Yeah. And it really wasn't until, and I, and I want to be... A little careful how I say this, because some historian could come back and correct me, and that's that's yep. fine. But I, I I don't think it was until around the earlier mid part of the 19th century until they were completely excised from what you would have as a folded up copy. I and I I could be wrong about that. Maybe it was earlier, but I want to say that that was there was a there was a real sharp line around the early mid part of the 19th century where those were completely taken out of all Protestant Bibles. So again, I'm I'm wiping up dust here from old lectures. But what I remember is in one of the apocryphal writings, Maccabees, mm-hmm. um, there's a reference to a prayer for the dead. Yep. And this was taken and used as a means to sort of explain and defend indulgences, which is sure. one of the main issues that Luther and his 95 theses is, is, is really attacking. Yep. Um, this idea that, you know, your loved ones were, could be bought out of purgatory or, or mm-hmm. again, I'm not, my, my, understanding of it is is not great but um and so that was a large part in why in 1546 like the the roman catholic stand was a reaction to luther being like yo this isn't this isn't right yep and we we need to respond to this and it became sort of an official 
considered canon for the Roman Catholic Church at that time. So it was almost like it was added back in. Not to say that those books weren't useful for mm-hmm. the church, mm-hmm. but they weren't ever, I don't think, considered authoritative canon. Yeah, and so I mean, going back to the um, to the councils of Rome in, in 382 and Carthage and subsequent mm-hmm. ones, the Council of Florence uh, in in the um, um, early part of the um, earlier mid part of the of the 15th century and others all had them uh, and and put a stamp of approval on them. Um, but again, to from my understanding, they were they were they were important. They needed to be included, but they weren't necessarily considered right. first tier. Um, and my understanding today of the way um, the catechism has it and the council, the, the subsequent kind of Catholic councils have had it, is they still consider them um, a- a- authoritative, but also not on a par with, with the 27 gotcha. New Testament books. Um, or, or, or any of the what we call the canonical books, whether Old or New Testament. And, and again, there could be some debate in that um, within certain Catholic circles. Um, but my understanding is, again, they're included. They are seen as, as relevant, as, as a necessary part, but again, more second tier. But, but they definitely wanted to make sure that they were included in this um, and not, not excluded, and which became, yeah, very much a polemical and political right. uh, thing between Protestants and, and Catholics. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I mean, that was a big part of my upbringing was I was taught, and not, this is not my parents as much as it was the church I grew up in, but was very much as Catholics are out. Yeah. <laughs> they, they are, they, they, you know, it was very polemic. They, they pray to Mary. They, they have all these books that don't belong in the real Bible. And it was just sort of very mm-hmm. antagonistic. And so one of the questions I think is maybe underneath this a little bit is, as a practicing Christian mm-hmm. Protestant, mm-hmm. do you think that people should read the Apocrypha? Maybe not must, like a requirement, yeah. but do you think that they should read it? Uh, yeah, I think I think I think it's a I think it can be very helpful to read the Apocrypha, just as just as I would say to uh, read the Church Fathers. Right. Uh, absolutely. I think especially especially reading the uh, Maccabean books. Yes. Um, the, the Maccabean books would be very helpful as it regards better understanding Jesus's own messianic identity and claims. Mm. Um, you have within uh, 1 Maccabees uh, a royal entry into Jerusalem, mm. a cleansing of the temple. Um, the, these were messianic acts um, that Jesus was falling in line with. And so Jesus riding into Jerusalem and and the people coming out and waving the palm branches and laying them down at his feet and and the quotation from from Zechariah nine as a fulfillment of prophecy and going in and cleansing the temple and, and and condemning the temple system as corrupt, which was which was a very popular idea among certain sects within Judaism. Certainly was among messianic figures, was of the Essenes and others at Qumran. Um, this was Jesus was playing in line, and this is what makes Jesus such an enigmatic figure mm. um, to his. People and why you see people constantly being puzzled by him in the Gospels, because on one hand he he is um, taking on the, a pattern that they would have been familiar with. Um, had Jews at the time of Jesus been around at the time of Judas Maccabeus? Well, no, but but I mean, and this is you know where where you get 
you know, we have Hanukkah and a lot of these things. I mean, the cleansing of the temple, this would have been a Jewish holiday that they would have mm. celebrated. Um, and the defeat of Israel's enemies and God coming back. And they thought, oh my goodness, now the kingdom is being restored uh, right. to Israel. And so this would have been very present in their mind. And so Jesus, on one hand, is falling into that same pattern. And that would provoke and arouse a lot of those same expectations. Mm. But at the same time, he is... He is doing very different things in the midst of that pattern. He is constantly changing those categories and, and, and rearranging those boundary markers that on one that on the other hand leave his his witnesses and his hearers, the people who are around him, very confused. Okay, right. so Yes, you are Israel's Messiah. You're riding into Jerusalem. You're cleansing the temple. Okay, now we're going to take up arms and we're going to defeat the Romans and God's kingdom is going to come back and all of these things and we're going to be able to practice Torah uninterrupted and our temple will be unstained by Israel corruption on one hand and Roman you know, idolatry on the other. But then he's going in and he's being arrested and he's being beaten and he's being crucified. Right. And yet we're still supposed to be thinking that somehow God is doing something here and and conquering God's enemies. Um, And this is what you see for the rest of the New Testament is Paul and and the gospel writers and and, and the the subsequent letters and Revelation and all of this working this stuff out of making sense and having to go back and rereading their own scriptures, what we would call today the Old Testament, to say, okay, who is this man and what God did do something here. And the validation of that, of course, is that he was raised from the dead uh, and that people witnessed him in that and then ascended to the right hand of the father. But then to make sense is like, oh, we now we must go back and re-understand our Bibles um, because everything has changed. Um, And it was completely different than we thought. But, But Maccabees, again, can go back to helping you understand the the Jewish mindset at the time of Jesus and what Jesus was doing and how he completely upset and rearrange uh, those categories. The other books can provide the same thing of, of yeah. whether it's apocalyptic literature and kind of understanding how that works right. within the Bible, um, because the the Old and New Testament writers are swimming. I, this is kind of a a larger kind of clunky word in, into a thought world. And so the more that we can put ourselves into their thought world um, and the better we can we can understand kind of what's going through their mind and how they're making sense out of who Jesus is, obviously all through the guidance and the direction of the Holy Spirit and, and those things. Um, but those apocryphal books can be helpful in trying to further help us with the mindset. But I would say this, if you're just having difficulty reading the Bible at all, Start there. Start, start there. Yeah, start yeah, yeah. there. But but if you no, are I, if you are helpful. saturating yourself in scripture, and uh, yeah, then yeah, go go I, and, and read them. I think I think too. What I was, and I think you answered it perfectly. I I think people might see the apocrypha as bad, and I and I want to reframe yeah. that a little bit as no, it 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 it's it's it can be useful, and it was useful for sure. um for for people teaching the scriptures throughout history. Um, Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things I was thinking about as you were talking in the same way that, you know, Jesus was unlike people's expectations. I think one of the unique things about the Bible in general is when you think about other holy books. So take the Book of Mormon, if you will. Mm -hmm. You've got 
a guy in the woods who has an ancient language and he needs a decoder in order to interpret it. Yeah. Or you've got um, the Quran, which, you know, the prophet was in a trance-like state, you know, and he, he's mm-hmm. like, it, it's almost like these divine revelations where, you know, the Bible is written by real people yep. in real places, in real times, and yep. they were authored. Yep. And so it's a, di- it's, it's just a, and it's such an um, unbelievable, like you mentioned, the way in which Maccabees can sort of help us understand more deeply the messianic promise and the way in which the entire, it's one book, but it's many books yeah. that has one singular thread. It's really the most remarkable book yeah. ever written in that sense. It is. And you think too about Maccabees, so, so and, and it actually it shines even more light on, on Jesus as God's true anointed one, because when Judas Maccabeus leads a revolt with his sons and to overthrow their enemies and to cleanse the temple and they think everything is going well and they're wiping the 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 sacrifices and the idols off of the altar and all of these things well it's it's a it's decades and a few centuries into that that you get the establishment of the um the hasmonean dynasty which is where you get king herod and by this time it's 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 wildly corrupt it's wildly corrupt and this is part of it and so you know, there were roughly half a dozen um, messianic figures prior to the person of Jesus and roughly half a dozen after the time of Jesus. Hmm. And all of them, all of them ended in either mass corruption or some form of crucifixion or being exiled out of Israel. And in each one of those instances, their followers, and obviously some had more followers than others, their followers were either killed alongside of them, hunted down and killed, forced into exile, or just went away, went and lived a quiet life and said, I don't want to deal with this. And so what do we get with Jesus, though? He's crucified, and then his followers, under the punishment of death, under the punishment of torture, imprisonment, losing all that they have, not only from, from the Romans, but from their own people, continue to go in the most prominent places. I mean, what do we find the apostles? Right after Jesus ascends uh, and the Spirit falls, they're right in the center of the Jewish world in the temple, and they are proclaiming um, that that Scripture had always been pointing to Hmm. a dying and rising Messiah, and they are calling people to that repentance. And it is only the followers of Jesus who, after his death and resurrection, uh, make these claims and continue on in this movement. All of which, of course, is 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 empowered um, by by God, the Holy Spirit, uh, which is the whole theme of the Book of Acts. I mean, the yeah. Holy Spirit is the main character yeah. uh, of of the Book of Acts. But in every one of the other instances, so roughly about one thirty five, one forty. A.D., you, you have kind of the last big burst of, of the Messianic figure, uh, Simon Bar Kokhba, and he had been endorsed uh, and anointed by a, by, um, by a very famous uh, uh, rabbi at, at, at that time, a pr- high priest, and I, I cannot remember um, 
Simon Bar- Ben Zozaba, I think was maybe his name. I, mm. I could be wrong on that. And 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 they they thought that he was this was it. I mean, this yeah. th- God was finally going to act and do all of these things. And he kind of takes on the same form. It's a little different because the temple had been destroyed, so it's about rebuilding and the sacrificial systems had officially ended. So Judaism was already beginning to look a little different at this point. But he rides in. It was going to do these things. And and the Romans put him on the rack and took a steel comb and combed his skin off. Oh. Um, and, and, and throughout it, I mean, you, and you have, we have the testament of it, and you can go back and read yeah. it, and he's crying out to God um, to, to save him and all of these things. And so, yeah, and of course, his, that whole movement died yeah. right after him. Right. Uh, and so, but, you know, as, as uh, difficult as, as church history can be, here we are 2,000 years later yeah. having a podcast <laughs> um, that, that at the end of the day is, is underwritten yeah. by our common faith in the person of Jesus, who yeah. we believe no. 2,000 years ago made these claims and made good on them because of the resurrection. It's remarkable. Thanks again for tuning in to the Better Questions podcast. If you want to send in questions, betterquestions at eastminster.org. You can email those in. We'd love to get more questions. Uh, this is part one of my conversation with Ben Davis. Part two will be dropping on Thursday. Hope you like it. And again, send in your questions. We'll see you soon. Grace and peace.